Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here as the build-up continues to Game 1 against the Brooklyn Nets, the conference semifinal, 6.30 p.m. Central Time on Saturday night at Barclays Center. Today's episode is brought to you by the Michelob Ultra Ultra Moments. At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Moments segment coming up later in this episode. It's a new thing we're doing here and we're going to have a bit of fun with that. Uh, before I bring in our guest today, our co-host, I want to mention the podcast yesterday with Jim Paschke. If you did miss that podcast by any chance, uh, make sure you go back and listen to it. We know Jim Paschke is an absolute legend. I had an absolute blast getting the chance to hang out with him. Again, it's been a while since we were able to do that, and I certainly appreciate some of the feedback we got back. I mean, you know when you're doing a podcast with Jim Paschke, it's going to be good content because he's just that damn good. I mean, the guy is just the ultimate professional, legendary voice in Wisconsin, but not just Wisconsin, across the world as well, uh, which we did touch on on that show. So make sure you go back and check that one out. But as far as today's podcast goes, I said we're building up to the Milwaukee Bucks Brooklyn Nets series that everyone has wanted to see. And joining me, a familiar voice, a man that I caught up with only a month ago when the Bucks and the Nets had those two game series from locked on nets it is adam armbrick we're here man we we finally made it a series that actually feels like it's going to mean something for both of our teams listen we were i I looked back it was actually only just over a month ago we did the last little crossover pod we did when uh, the bucks and the nets had those back-to-back games and we said that this series loomed large as a potential, you know, second round series at the time. I did say to you before we started recording that I think it is a little bit of a shame that these two teams are meeting in the second round and it's not the conference finals because it does feel like it has the billing of what should be a conference finals matchup. But yeah, I, I think going through a sweep with Milwaukee over Miami and a series with Brooklyn and Boston that quite frankly, from my point of view, I just wanted to be over because <laughs> I, I, was, I was sick of watching the Nets just absolutely toy with Boston throughout that series. Um, I'm excited, and it's seriously going to ramp up here pretty quickly for game one. Do you think, like, you know, we know Embiid went down for Philly, obviously, and, and while we're, full disclosure, while we're recording this, that game is going on between uh, Philly and the Wizards. But even pre-Embiid injury, You'd still, you'd rather have it be the Bucks and the Nets in the conference finals, right? Like, I don't think that the the dynamic in a 76ers Bucks or 76ers Nets Eastern Conference Finals wasn't going to feel the same as these two teams feel like, at least on paper, from a series standpoint. This is the best possible matchup to close out an Eastern an Eastern Conference with. 
Absolutely. And quite honestly, I mean, I, I've been doing the, uh, I mentioned this on Locked On Bucks last week, but for NBA.com, the, the global editions who I work for Australia, Canada, those websites, we do power rankings and I haven't had Philadelphia in my top five all year. And people have sort of pushed back on that and said, well, they're the top seed in the East, but I've looked at it and I've always thought from a personnel standpoint, from what the teams are able to do for Milwaukee defensively, and I know we're going to get it, going to get into it, and Brooklyn clearly offensively, this felt like the two heavyweights in the conference right throughout the season. So, yeah, I mean, I have these two a little bit ahead of Philadelphia. I have all season long, and I, I think with the continuity that, that Philadelphia, for the most part, have been able to have through the season, clearly they play well at home. That benefited them consistency-wise throughout the regular season, and the Bucks and the Nets have been trying a few different things. Clearly, uh, from a Brooklyn perspective, they introduced some, uh, let's say, pretty major pieces throughout the season, and uh, and it resulted in them being the two and the three seed. But I still think that this is, this is the marquee matchup from not only, uh, I think, how they they square off with each other. But I think from the aesthetic point of view of watching it as a fan, this is the series everyone wants to see. Yeah, you talk about having Giannis and Middleton and Holiday, you know, obviously a tier down, a guy like Brooke Lopez, but these are all these are all name brand players. Obviously, Harden, KD, Kyrie, right? Even Joe Harris has established himself these last couple of years in the league. So you go deeper and deeper into these rosters and you feel like you're you're really just saturated with known commodities and talents that'll make it really exciting. Um that that being the case though. You you mentioned the Boston series and Doug and I talked about it a ton. It, you know, it was just kind of a, a sleepwalk series. The the game three loss certainly startled us at least in the moment. But the Bucks beat a Heat team that was in the finals last year that dealt with a lot during the season. But again, they had a lot. They have a lot of the names there. Do you look at that series? differently than you would have, you know, in another year? Do you look at this Bucks team in the playoffs differently? Because clearly adding Holiday has changed their dynamic. They added other lesser pieces, but still important, like Portis, like P.J. Tucker. What, what did you take away from that series from a Bucks standpoint that says, yes, we've, we've done this thing where we're successful in the regular season. This first round tells us that we're ready to do something a little bit more. I think it was very evident right throughout the series from offensive schemes that they were able to run and the different things that they were trying offensively, including you already mentioned Brooke Lopez, but utilizing him in different ways, Giannis being a facilitator, having the outside shooting, obviously Bryn Forbes went off for a couple of games there. Pat Connaughton had a, had a nice uh, five, three point make game there as well. So offensively, they were doing things differently defensively. Some of it was much of the same. I mean, you had Brooke Lopez patrolling the paint. He was dominant throughout. Miami allowed you to do that with Bam Adebayo out on the floor, but they were also switching effectively, which is just literally not something they ever even tried in previous years gone past. I do think that part of that is personnel. So when you add Drew Holiday, you add PJ Tucker, you add two guys that that's their bread and butter. That's what they do. That's what they've been doing for multiple years uh, prior to this. So I think that the Bucks are built significantly better for the postseason. I think that they're a significantly tougher team when you look at the additions they made, including those two guys, Bobby Portis as well, and just the, the lessons that guys like Middleton and Giannis have learned from losing. But I will say this. I, I've said all year long that I think that this Bucks team is the best version of the Bucks team we've seen in this Budenholzer era, and I don't think it's particularly close. But I also think that if the Bucks hadn't have lost to Miami last year, I don't think there would have been too many people that would have predicted that series go longer than five games. So mm. 
I, I do. I don't want to pour too much cold water on it for Bucks fans, but I do think <laughs> that there's been a little bit of Kool Aid drinking when it comes to the Bucks, and everyone's been taken aback. Miami are kind of just a, a rubbish team, uh, and they were they were very very average all season long, and and they had the benefit of the doubt because of what they did in the play- playoffs last year. But this was a complete mismatch right across the board. So, look, the Bucks were super super impressive. They tried things that we haven't seen before, um, but they also just took care of business against a, a pretty ordinary team. Yeah, and I, I think that that's the the thing that everyone agreed about Boston with their experience this year is something maybe that it took longer for everyone to accept about Miami because they, they did surge towards the end of the year and they got themselves back into the playoffs, which was impressive to a certain extent. But you go back to last year and remember that this is a team that everyone agreed then that they were overachieving and that getting to the finals w- was impressive unto itself. And also when you looked at their roster, you said eh, probably a piece away that you, we know that they were sniffing around a lot of free agents in the off season, trying to improve them, trying to give themselves that extra star. So I, it's unfortunate from a, just from an analysis standpoint, there's not, we, I know at least for us on our side, there's not a lot that we could take away from the first round series. Now, the interesting thing is we end up losing Jeff Green and he's going to get reevaluated here. I, I Safe to assume he won't be ready for the start of this series, but maybe depending on how it looks, he could come back into the fold and start to build back up. I, I think the Nets and Nets fans have to assume he's not going to be available for the series and it's a pleasant surprise if he is. DiVincenzo is not going to be available for the for the Bucks for the rest of the playoffs. How, how important... Or how crucial is that loss? Because the one thing that I definitely look at when I do see Milwaukee is the depth. When you when you talk about grabbing a guy up like P.J. Tucker, you say, boy, that's just a nice veteran player to be able to bring off the bench. How much does it hurt not having DiVincenzo? Who fills in that role relatively comfortably? Does it really change anything for this Milwaukee Bucks team in terms of their depth and feeling comfortable with what personnel is running their sets for them? Yeah, it does hurt the depth. I mean, that's the simple answer to that. DiVincenzo is a little bit of an X factor because the way that he impacts games is not necessarily in the easiest to identify uh, manner. It's not just, I mean, he can score. He can, he can get hot from the outside, sure. But that's not necessarily his importance to the team. It comes with rebounding from the guard position. It comes from creating steals and deflections, which then translate to transition offensive opportunities for guys like Giannis. And one thing we've always praised Dante DiVincenzo for, uh, some players for some reason don't have this awareness, but DiVincenzo always has. As If you get the ball, get it to Giannis in transition quickly and get out of the way. He's always done that. And that's <laughs> right. not something that all players really have been able to understand. I'm not looking uh, specifically at Malcolm Brogdon, but you get, you get the idea. Now, <laughs> I... I so I think from a depth point of view, it, it does hurt. Now, Pat Connaughton will probably start. That would be my prediction. And, you know, in terms of player, it's kind of a like for a like. But the the problem with that is that you are significantly shortening your rotation because DiVincenzo is a guy you're getting 25 minutes out of. So, look, it, it, they're certainly fortunate that they made the trade for PJ, Trucker, PJ Tucker. This would be a disastrous injury if Tucker wasn't on the roster. Fortunately, they do have a little bit of depth there. We'll see what happens with Brent Forbes. Certainly a a huge impact in the first round series. We'll see what they can do with him defensively in this series. Although I think that his limitations have been a little bit overblown. I mean, the guy did some nice stuff against Miami. So we'll see. But yeah, I think that this is an under under the radar loss for the Bucks that I don't think has got as much attention because he kind of is just the fifth guy in the starting lineup. Those guys never get too much credit, but it is important. But I asked this question on 
locked on Bucks a, a couple of days ago, uh, whether we thought the loss of DiVincenzo was more important to the Bucks than what a potential loss of Jeff Green, and we don't know when he's going to come back, would be for the Nets. What do you think the Jeff Green loss means with this matchup in particular? Because as you pointed to, I mean, you can roll through a series with Boston and it, it, it doesn't matter, but against the Bucks, it might. It's time now for a brand new segment brought to you by our partners at Michelob Ultra. It was a tough choice for me to pick this week's Ultra Moments, but it has to be Giannis out on the floor playing soccer just moments after being put to the floor by Bielita in that series against Miami. The reason why that is this week's Michelob Ultra moment for me is that it signified everything that was dominant about that series win for the Bucs. Miami tried to get physical. It didn't matter. The Bucks essentially laughed in their face, smiled at them, and said, we don't really care what you're going to try and do to us. We're simply better than you. Go on your vacation early, boys, because this one's over. So to me, that moment not only was fun and enjoyable for everyone that was watching, I think it was pretty... Uh, it, it signified that this is a different Bucks team and this was a different series against the Miami Heat. So Giannis playing soccer is the Michelob Ultra Moments of the week for me. And remember, we always talk about with Michelob Ultra that joy, happiness, enjoyment are all part of it. And there was a photo that came out after that moment of Bryn Forbes with the cheesiest grin from ear to ear. I think everyone that watches the Bucks felt the same as Bryn Forbes in that moment. So Giannis gets the Ultra Moment of the Week. Remember, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. Joy creates success. And enjoyment isn't the end game, it's the whole game. Today on Road to the Finals, our NBA playoffs coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. And that's the that's the reality that we came to once Jeff Green was out. And then, I mean, it was really twofold. The series against Boston exposed maybe what, Blake Griffin's true limitations are going to be. Uh, you know, we all kind of fell. Listen, we weren't overhyping him, but what he ended up being with the Nets after the buyout from Detroit was far more impressive than what we thought when he was coming in. Then you get into the playoffs and you all of a sudden remember that he's not that athletic and he does get caught and hunted on switches with consistency on the defensive end. And he's not the most consistent perimeter shooter. He can get to the rim certainly at times. He should prove that he can still dunk it. And that's great. But he didn't have nearly the same type of access at the rim that we saw during the regular season, even against the team in Boston that only really has after losing Williams, the third, it was, you know, you're talking about having Tristan Thompson protecting the rim. That's it. So his limitations in that past series combined with taking Jeff green off the floor, all of a sudden it further highlights how depleted they are at that position because he's, you know, these guys are getting put that put out there as pseudo fives. And you can get away with it against Boston. They're depleted. They have their injuries, et cetera. But we said coming into it, the matchups are going to be difficult across the board when you talk about Giannis and Middleton and, and Holiday, and then look at our big three and how are these rotations going to look, how are the switches going to play out. But when you get into that depth piece, you know, it's a bit of a, it's a mixed bag now. We, we just saw Bruce Brown was still getting significant minutes in the last couple of games of that series against Boston. We're trying to figure out if the Nets are maybe just going to say, that's it. 
we're leaning small. We're going to go small. We're going to spread you out. We're going to shoot from the wings. But the secondary issue is Bruce Brown is not a great perimeter shooter. To this point, Shamit has had a rough first round playoff series, so he hasn't been very reliable. So not only are you taking size off the court, but you're also diminishing some of the quality of the shooting. Even though Jeff Green isn't the greatest three-point shooter, he's had one of his best perimeter shooting seasons now with these stars around him. So it, it, it gets worse and worse as you move down the list, not just from a talent standpoint, from but from a, a fit standpoint. Because then you talk about a guy like Nicholas, Nicholas Claxton, and you know that he's not shooting anything from the perimeter. You know he's basically just lost on the offensive end. Gives you great defensive upside and versatility, but that's a relatively you know neutral asset to have when you're playing a team like the Bucks. So I, I would argue the case that yes, if Jeff Green is gone, far more damning for for the Nets here in this series than DiVincenzo, specifically because Milwaukee does have the depth to at least relatively speaking replace him. So you mentioned a number of times there a couple of the guys that potentially might play at the five. So this was one thing that I thought was at least interesting from the series with Boston. Blake Griffin obviously was starting there. And it stood out to me that very clearly, and and who knows, again, I think part of this was the fact that the Nets were just in, in second gear for the whole entire series. But the second piece of that is that Steve Nash, we've heard, I mean, he's spoken a lot about the fact that uh, we want these guys to play together. We want them to get a feel for playing with each other and find that chemistry that they haven't been able to have. Well, the problem is when you go from the Nets to the Bucks, that, that could be quite a shock. And I, I did feel, if anything, the Celtics were still able to get whatever they wanted with Blake Griffin defending at the five on the perimeter because he would switch onto them. And then he, I mean, he's, he's not going to defend a Chris Milton, for instance, out on the perimeter if they get that switch. So with the Brook Lopez piece, here for the Bucs and the damage that he did defensively and offensively now playing within the perimeter of Brooklyn Brook, as they call him in Milwaukee. What do you think the Nets do? Because DeAndre Jordan, are they just going to dust off the cobwebs and throw him back out there? Because he played major minutes in the series in the two game set against the Bucs around a month ago. Is it going to be Claxton? Do they think that they're just going to go with Blake Griffin? What's your anticipation here? Because <laughs> It's it's really fascinating because if you play Claxton and DeAndre Jordan on the floor, then the Bucks feel super comfortable about having Brook Lopez out there at all times and not having to worry about defending on the perimeter, as you already mentioned. If you go small, though, the Bucks now, something they haven't done in the past is they're going to go, okay, we're just going to give the ball to Brook Lopez down low and take advantage of that mismatch. Yeah. And that's, I mean, this is the perfect time of year that you want to be figuring out rotations, right? <laughs> as you, as you go from <laughs> right, the first to yeah. second round, but, but that's, that's why I think this is such an interesting matchup with, with Milwaukee, because the things that you would want to expose would be drawing. So again, put in Jeff green instead of Blake Griffin. Now you at least ha- you can start to draw out Brooke Lopez away from the basket. You can start to think about some of those back toward cuts potentially, and you just, you keep better perimeter shooting out there and it forces Milwaukee to have to adjust and maybe look to bring in in PJ Tucker at times look to bring in Portis and you can kind of have that you know that chess game how do you want to shuffle these pieces but as it stands now it's it, it well first of all DeAndre Jordan we thought you would start to see him but the fact that he didn't see the court at all in the first yeah. round series that leads us to believe that he's done that, that it, I cannot see walking into a second round series against the Bucks. And all of a sudden, DeAndre Jordan is out there, first of all, in the starting lineup. And then even if you're talking about minute shares, because the reality is, as lost as Claxton can look on the offensive end, we did see in the last game against in the Boston series, 
when Harden's out there with him, and we said this all year long, he makes bigs look phenomenal. So if you can get the alley-oops, if you can catch that ball and put it down, that's essentially what DeAndre Jordan is. On the defensive end, DeAndre Jordan is lead-footed and hangs in the paint. At least if you play with Claxton, he can work on the switches. He can follow guards all the way from the top of the key down through the paint to the basket. So you, you give yourself some options there. I... I just don't know how you can operate with Blake Griffin for long stretches because Brooke Lopez can defend him one-on-one. And then when you get, and he can take him down on, on the offensive end, he can take him on in the paint. Brooke Lopez can take on Nick Claxton in the paint as well. Cause he's going to be undersized. The interesting thing is out on the perimeter. If you want to go small in your Brooklyn is on the offensive end, how are you going to switch into the ideal matchup? Because one of the things that I was curious from Milwaukee standpoint is who are they going to use holiday against? Are you going to try to lock down James Harden because he's, he's bigger, he's more physical. He's the facilitator of the Nets offense. If you take him out of his rhythm, now you're going to ask Kyrie Irving to get back into point guard duty, something he hasn't been doing a lot in the, in this new formation of the team. But if you put him onto Kyrie Irving, you're taking away a pure shooter from the Nets. And no matter who you put onto James Harden, you're still always going to have the secondary defensive backup of Giannis, of Lopez, of Middleton. So it's the length that is so concerning to me about Milwaukee because unlike the Boston series, which is here nor there, but unlike most matchups across the league, Kevin Durant can always switch into a better matchup for himself. It's a little bit different when you have Giannis and you have Middleton. Both those guys at least have the length to disrupt Kevin Durant. And I'm not, from a net standpoint, you're not stopping Kevin Durant, but it's a much different offensive set for the Nets if you feel like Milwaukee can switch their coverages multiple times and still feel comfortable with the matchups. Not a lot of teams can do that. Philadelphia would not be able to do that. No other team in the Eastern Conference would be able to do that the way that Milwaukee can. And that's where I I wonder, how will the Nets still find a way to have their offensive rhythm? I think they're going to get there ultimately. But Milwaukee has that opportunity to dictate tempo, to dictate personnel, and force the Nets to react to that. And um, that is the concern around the lack of depth right now, is there's not going to be a lot of adjustments, I don't think, for the Nets really to fall to. It's just going to be, this is our team. We're going to try to outscore you. And more often than not, we think that's going to work. It's time for rockauto.com right now, the family business that's been serving auto parts customers for 20 plus years. You can just go to rockauto.com right now after you finish listening to this podcast. Actually, I'll say that. And you can shop for all the auto and body parts you need from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything you need from engine control modules, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Uh, whatever you think of, it's going to be there. If you need anything for your car, rockauto.com is going to have you covered. And the best thing about it is it's easy to find on the online catalog. And the prices are also the same for me and you as they would be for the professionals out there as well. So there's no funny business going on with rockauto.com. Just go to the website right now to see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in the how did you hear about us box today? No, we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. And then it's built by time. And, you know, I, I really, unfortunately, timed this very poorly. I, I had a tweet yesterday come through asking me why I didn't get Jim Paschke to do a built bar read. And it's something that's going to haunt me for a long time. I'm going to regret 
not having the words built bar come out of Jim Paschke's mouth. Very disappointing on my behalf. I've got to be better. I'll strive to be better. But in the meantime, while I'm trying to do that, I'm going to eat a built bar. There's nine delicious flavors. If you can't pick one, then you can get a mix box where you'll get two of each of the flavors, which includes coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel. Uh, They're all there and they're all delicious. So even if you just want to try all of them, my recommendation would be to go with the mixed box there. There's only 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, four grams of sugar, four grams of net carbs. So Built Bar are also good for you. I mean, it's just a fantastic product. There's, I, I can't say it enough. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your first order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. The lineup for the Bucks, when you talk about that switchability and, you know, basically feeling that, and, and this is, I use this term, not with full confidence, because I, I don't think that with Kyrie, with James Harden, with Durant, you ever have guys that are going to be defending them where you feel like, yeah, okay, this is a good matchup. We feel I like, comfortable. I like, so, I, like to, we're, I like that we're both hedging our bets in everything that well, we're saying, because it's hard, but that's the kind of teams that, that, that both these rosters are, right? Yeah, it's it's just one of those things. I mean, look, we've all sat here and the Bucks have had actually pretty good success against James Harden in the past when he was in mm-hmm. Houston. Admittedly, Eric Bledsoe was a big part of that. But listen, I, I think you feel pretty comfortable with Drew Holiday replacing Bledsoe there. And Kyrie Irving has had some epic meltdowns against the Bucks. So it, the fear factor, I think, if you're a Bucks fan, 100% centers around Kevin Durant. Because, look, we've been watching this guy all season long. It's absolutely ridiculous. I don't know how he's had these multiple absences and come back and look the way that he's looked. I mean, the, the guy is just ridiculous. But if the Bucks have a lineup with Brook Lopez and he is able to sort of plant himself in the paint and sort of dictate play and, and communicate and let everyone know what's going on and be that rim protector, then if you have... Giannis, Chris Milton, Drew Holiday, PJ Tucker, you pointed to that. I don't think there's another team in the league that has that personnel that you can say, okay, look, there's a couple of guys in that, in that group and, and Giannis recently has said that he, I, I think he said he, he didn't think this is a weakness of his, but look, he, he's not the best at getting over screens. We all know that or getting around screens. But if you're switching everything, it doesn't matter. Now, this has been a problem for the Bucks in years gone by. And when people have said, why wouldn't Giannis defend Jimmy Butler? Or why wouldn't Giannis defend this guy? Well, the answer is pretty simple because they're just going to put him straight into his into screen action and then he's not going to be able to recover and he's giving up open shots all day long. Like that that's that's a simple answer and one of the reasons why he hasn't it hasn't been a problem this year as much because they are able to switch those actions. So, look, I, I again, I, I think the Bucks match up as well as anyone possibly can in terms of the personnel that the Nets have, but the one thing that we do need to acknowledge in the three games that they played this year, Brooklyn didn't have the three guys. So they didn't have Kyrie Irving the first game. They didn't have James Harden the last two games. And you mentioned where the matchups might fall. I just can't look anywhere else than putting Drew Holiday on James Harden because he he is the one that orchestrates everything. And, And you already touched on it. He can get the big man involved, whether it is Claxton, whether they do dust off DeAndre Jordan and he's out there. He's the guy that's going to make those guys impactful offensively and those easy layout uh, lob opportunities, those alley-oops, that not only does that get you momentum, but it gets those guys involved. They start feeling energized. So Harden is the guy that you have to do whatever you can to try and, 
limit his impact because he's the facilitator. I think if you put the ball in Kyrie's hands, yes, he's going to knock down. He's, he's a genius as well with the ball in his hands, but I just think that he's the best case scenario out of three pretty dangerous options. Well, and that's the funny thing too, because I think ideally I would almost rather see Holiday on Irving and then it'll be a flow throughout the course of the game in the yeah. series, but specifically because when Harden gets back, if Holiday is going to be able to keep Harden in front of him more often than not and keep him out of the paint, when Harden starts to get into the paint and you start to draw up Brooke Lopez. Now, Kyrie Irving can do that as well, but Harden has shown the ability, willingness, the, the, that vision in terms of his passing. So now you're talking about the collapsing defense and being able to kick out. And out of out of those options, I'd rather Harden ball in hand be driving the lane and then looking for Irving, looking for KD, looking for Joe Harris. That, to me, is the most, most lethal version. And it's obviously what the Nets have come to understand in, in their roster. It's why Harden has the ball in hand. So the, the secondary piece is going to be how do, you, how do you try to force the switches against Milwaukee to get Holiday off of him? And I, I guess the, the question I would ask you is, do you think, will Milwaukee be more likely to on switches at the top of the key to actually switch? Or will Holiday fight over the top, fight underneath, do what's ever necessary to as much as possible stay on Harden every defensive possession? And do you think that they're almost solely focused on holiday do this defensive thing and we don't we don't care what else happens offensively well that, that'll come or it'll be what it's going to be but if you can do this piece if you can frustrate harden then that is mission accomplished you've checked the box that we want to in the series yeah this is fascinating because this is another area where the bucks have got better because when when i mentioned earlier that they never used to switch they didn't but when they would very, very rarely do that, it was basically like, okay, well, we're switching everything because they didn't really know how else to do it. They mm -hmm. hadn't really implemented it into games. But now what we've started to see, and this is why the defense hasn't been perfect all season long, and this is why there's been breakdowns, but now we're starting to see understanding, okay, we're going to switch when Kyrie Irving is is in screen action but we're not going to switch when james harden is in screen action and we're going to do this with this player so they've they've actually started to figure out okay we we can not only are we doing different things defensively but we're doing uh, even more different things within that different scheme that we're starting to run if that makes absolutely any sense what i just said but <laughs> we, we've seen that communication start to get better and, and truly you'll see it out there when drew holiday and pj tucker in particular are on the floor together because it, it does still feel like some of these Bucks players need to think through what they're doing out on the floor, but those two don't. And when they're out on the floor, everything starts to, to tick a little bit better. Everything's pretty smooth. So look, as far as what they'll do specifically with James Harden, I would expect that it's going to change and it would dictate um, uh, depending on how uh, he is impacting the game or who's the hot hand. But this is the thing that I think you do have a little bit of faith in if you're a Bucks fan that you never used to was the fact that they will change it up a little bit. They'll assess how a game is going and maybe in between games, but during games, they'll make those adjustments as well. So it's, look, I, I again, Durant is the, the absolute freak that, I don't know if you're capable of slowing him down. We've actually seen Chris Middleton do a relatively good job on him in the past in terms of um, you know, getting a hand in his face and then hoping he misses. I guess that's a good job on Kevin Durant. <laughs> uh, I do think Drew Holiday primarily is going to be on James Harden. And then you have Giannis. And, and the question will be, what do you do with him? We saw, I go back to the first game we saw, uh, Adam and you, you guys, uh, it was, I think it was 125, 123 off the top of my head. And Jeff Green hit five threes. And at that point, 
the Bucks were still really trying to figure things out. And Giannis was still playing as the free roamer that you know really would overhelp a little bit. And he'd, he'd move into the paint and Jeff Green stood in the corner all night long and knocked down threes. We've seen a little bit less of that as the season has worn on, but we've also seen in particular with this first round series with Miami, Giannis given a task. I wonder whether he's going to get a task in this series. It would be fun to see if it was Durant. I'm not necessarily sold on the fact that it would be. I do think that we might see Chris Middleton to start, but it's a pretty handy backup option. Yeah, and I think any of these matchups, when they play out from a Nets perspective, you need to punish them. If it's going to be Giannis, then Kevin Durant, you have to be willing to lean your head into his chest, work that little swing move up and over, elevate for your shot, make him take a foul, right? I mean, one of the things that we we also talked about coming out of that Boston series is the Nets only missed, I think, four total free throws. And collectively, our big three is very capable of knocking down at the charity stripe. And that's a difference for uh, Giannis, obviously, who still struggles that area of his game. Not necessarily for Middleton, but when you think about being willing to play a guy physically on either end of the floor and get into those situations, I'm happy if the Nets can can get into the bonus earlier in these series. But you mentioned about Jeff Green in, in one of the last games between these two teams, the five threes. He is only one of a couple of guys that that has really shown how at full strength. He's a beneficiary. If you find him open from beyond the arc, he's going to hit at a high volume. The injury, the guy that we haven't gotten to here is also Joe Harris. And, <laughs> you know, I, I think that there's going to come a point in, in the first game in, across this series where Middleton is going to be frustrating KD a little bit. We, we, we've seen this happen throughout the year. And sometimes these big three, they will go a little ISO heavy. They will lean into the fact that we're better than most guys on the court. We should be able to get our shot. But when that happens and the switches are working for Milwaukee or they're working over the screens and they're able to stay on their assignments as they want to have it, it's still, it has to come to the point where the driving kick, someone is going to be open. As good as Milwaukee is, there's going to be stretches where Joe Harris or... I wish Jeff Green, maybe it's going to be Shamit for little stretches. Even Bruce Brown, for even though he's not a three-point shooter, he's on the floor to do these scrappy things for you for stretches. Maybe he's going to have a couple of looks. Once you knock down those threes, whether or not Milwaukee wants to live and die by that, you can choose to do it. And the absence of Jeff Green will make it a little bit easier to have that be the poison that you pick. But Joe Harris will punish you. And, and there, there, there can be games where the big three go for 20 points a piece and Joe Harris gives you 25. And if you're, if you're willing to sacrifice that, it's the, probably the right answer to the equation. And also you could still come, come out on the losing end of it. So it's the firepower is what the Nets have built this roster to be. It's what they're going to lean into. And I, I, I'll just be very curious to see how much attention they're willing to give which player. Because you mentioned KD. I think that we've we've highlighted all season long the importance of James Harden. He's the guy that makes this team go. But now in playoff basketball, now when the matchups get tighter, the defense gets more intense, now it is Kevin Durant's time. This is his time to start to take over games. So how Milwaukee treats him and how everybody else operates off of that is going to dictate the ebb and flow of these games. And it's going to be... You know, Nets get down seven to 10 points. Can they shoot their way back in? Of course they can, but they're going to be facing a different level of defensive, I think, intensity and versatility in the Bucs that they haven't had to for seven games. And that's what makes this exciting too. When you talk about five, six, seven games against the same team, this is where you can start to find rhythms on both ends of the floor that make it hard to adjust against. 
So what's the winning score total? And, uh, you know, in all of these games, through the three games, both teams have scored over 110 points, which again, I mentioned when you consider the fact that Brooklyn were missing a, a, you know, a pretty handy player in all three of those games, there's a little bit of offense that's going to come into that lineup. What's the winning score total? I mean, these, these games, I, I think, put it this way, I don't think we're going to be seeing any of the, the 198 scraps <laughs> that we saw with Milwaukee and Miami in the first round. Yeah, I mean, listen, go back to the Boston series briefly just to say in the four <laughs> games that the Nets won, you know, 104 because they didn't need to put up a lot of points, but 130, 141, and 123, <laughs> right? I mean, I, and the Nets surrendered over 100 points in all, you know, 126 in one of those games against a team that lost Kemba Walker midway through the series and that only had Tatum and was incredibly limited in terms of offensive weapons and firepower. So I just... No matter which way you slice it, I think it'll come down to a handful of, of very intense defensive possessions that that can be the difference in these games. And also, I expect these things to be comfortably in the you know 120s. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if every one of these games is in that area because that's the type of firepower both these rosters have. And it, it, it'll make for exciting games. And, and it will. It, it's so weird that in a series where you expect it to be incredibly high scoring, it will still be though seven defensive possessions that you know that tell the script of a given game. We've seen Kyrie Irving be be able to kind of just get a little bit of reach around steals on on some of these possessions over the course of tight games. James Harden has done a good job staying in front of people at times, and then KD again for a completely different reason than his offensive game. He is the X factor defensively as well in terms of the best players in this series. He can impact Middleton if he wants to. So those will be fun to watch. He didn't take on the assignment of Tatum with consistency. The last series didn't have to do that. You may be required to do more on that end of the floor in this one. If you want to disrupt the bucks rhythm on that end of the floor. What's the crowd cap at Barclays? Where, where are we at? Uh, they're a little bit less. I think they're like 17 or 18,000. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's about what Fiserv Forum will be at for game three and four and potentially six. They, uh, it's kind of funny. I mean, we're, we're seeing it right around the league, but I, I think the Bucks have bumped it up to around 90%, which at that point, it's like, okay, well, I mean, is what's the extra thousand people doing? Because I, th- I think they're allowing 17 in and capacity is around 18,100 18, at Fiserv. So uh, close enough, close enough to traditional home court advantage. Yeah, exactly. No, and it should be. And, and the Nets, the Nets were good. The fans were good. I think um, TNT had some of the games and they may have been lowering the, the volume yeah, relative to terrible. the guys. Yeah. So, I mean, it made it brutal and everyone was kind of questioning and asking. It was like a lot of the guys, a lot of fans, people that are covering the Nets were there and they said, it's intense in here. I don't know what it sounds like there, but that, that's, you know, that'll be fun too. I think it's from just, you know, maybe this the entire side piece. Uh, well, assuming fans know how to be fans again, but it's nice that fans can be back in arenas. And I think it'll make for good series because Milwaukee has always had a, a rabid fan base. So that'll be fun to see how both these teams get impacted on one another's home court. So listen, I mean, it all kicks off Saturday night. It gets underway. Uh, I have, listen, the nets are favored in this series for whatever that's worth. What, what is your inclination? Do you think that this is the kind of series where it does go game for game that Milwaukee steals one in Brooklyn, that the nets steal one on the road, or is this going to be that down? I mean, can you see Milwaukee being down 2-0 going back home? 
Uh, I mean, it, it's certainly plausible, but I do think for all the reasons that we've discussed, and I think there's there's multiple reasons why you would feel that these teams are kind of going to feel each other out a little bit in this series. So I, I do think that it's a golden opportunity for the Bucks to get one of these. And uh, having said that, if they split the first two games, um, yeah, I, I, I still would predict that this is going to be a hell of a long series. I, I think that both of these teams have proven throughout the season that they can win uh, on the road and they can win big games and they've, they've got big time players. And I, I think that that's the big thing about these two teams. So I, look, the Bucks have obviously been in a number of yeah, pretty big playoff series the last few years. This is probably the only series where I come into it thinking, yeah, I, I can see us being here in two weeks time, getting ready for game seven. It, it feels like that type of matchup. I hope so. That's what I want. I want an intense series. I want it to be good from start to finish every single game. This will not be. I, uh, I'll i go ahead out on a limb here. I don't think it's going to be the last time that uh, myself and, and Kane and possibly even Doug will be getting on together to talk about this series because I bet there's going to be a lot of really good performances once this thing finally kicks off on Saturday night. Until then, my friend, thanks as always. No, it was a pleasure. And they might stretch this one out a little bit with the first uh, second round series to get underway. So yeah, we'll definitely have some time to catch up and it's uh, it's always a pleasure.